Podcast.com. A damp, gloomy evening in April it was, just after the close of the Great War, when Marcia found herself alone with strange thoughts and wishes, unheard of yearnings which floated out of the spacious 20th century drawing room up the misty deeps of the air and eastward to far olive groves in Arcady, which she had only seen in her dreams. In her dreams. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to your dream. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And I'm Chris Lackey. And this is the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. At hppodcraft.com. Uh, that was our awesome reader this week, uh, Mr. Billy Flynn, who is one of the hosts, in my opinion, the host of geekradiodaily.com, which Damn. is an awesome podcast. I listen to it daily. Billy was reading from Poetry and the Gods, which we are covering today, as well as another story, the pronunciation of which everybody's up in the air about. Yeah, Celephaeus, Celephus. Uh, Billy actually says Celephaeus. Celephaeus, which uh, might actually be correct. It might be. Actually, you know, I don't know if any pronunciation is correct, because it's a dream city. It is a dream city. And as we all know, today we're talking about dreams. Mmm, dreams. You know, that first paragraph that, that Billy read, actually, is kind of a tip-off right away, though, that, that Poetry it, and the Gods, which is the first story we're covering, the first story we're covering. is a collaboration. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's that the main character is named uh, Marcia. Well, she's a woman. Yes. Yes, that's uh, that's kind of the big... Uh... <laughs> it's kind of a tip-off. And even the, the way that the that it's sort of written kind of makes me believe that the collaborator, Anna Helen Crofts, mm-hmm. uh, was the one who perhaps wrote this passage. You know, little is known about her. She's only written a few stories and nobody really knows anything about her. Uh, Lovecraft never talked about her in any of his yeah. correspondence. So she's a bit of a mystery. Well, it, it's strange because um, somebody actually asked if we were doing collaborations as well. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, we are if we want to. Really no, really no <laughs> rules. But uh, we did actually gloss over an earlier collaboration we uh-huh. did Beyond the Wall of Sleep we talked about The Green Meadow really yeah. briefly and that was uh, something he'd written with a woman named Winifred Jackson yep. mm-hmm. who was a poet um, that I believe he was corresponding with at the same time he's corresponding with Crofts now well, there's a lot that's known about Winifred right. but um, Anna Hel- Anna Helen Crofts is mystery. And we'll talk more about Winifred uh, when we get to a story called The Crawling Chaos, because yes. she actually collaborated with him yeah, yeah. another time. And there's some interesting things about her life. Oh, yes. But this one we don't know much about. Yeah, so we're just going to we're gonna jump into what this what this story's about. So we've got Marcia. It's about uh, yes, it's one young woman, Marcia. something. It's right after the Great War. Uh-huh. And she feels a little out of, her, out of time. Like, yeah. Like, she feels, like, out of place. Right. Uh, she's in her drawing room, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, she's reclining on a soft divan by a lamp. Which is, you know, her description comes off kind of sexy to me. I she gotta does. Admit. I, yeah, go says, ahead. Uh, Give that a read. Attired simply in a low-cut evening dress of black, she appeared outwardly a typical product of modern civilization. But tonight, she felt the immeasurable gulf that separated her soul from all her prosaic surroundings. I imagine her sitting there with a glass of wine. Yeah. It's like the beginning of a, a vignette in like a Cinemax uh, late night movie. <laughs> like, I, I wouldn't know about those. She Chad. drifts off and there's a crossfade and then we see Lovecraft chopping wood. Uh, <laughs> you know, his shirt's off. Uh, she's bringing up some lemonade. Except it's like a bad budget, so it's just somebody's backyard in Reseda somewhere. And, uh, oh, but anyway, yeah. there was a little line about Marsh's domestic life I like. Uh, it says... Was it because of the strange home in which she lived, that abode of coldness, where relations were always strained and the inmates scarcely more than strangers? Not fitting in with her family, even. No, it's not working out for her. And it's not just her family, it goes on to say up. Was it that? Or was it some greater and less explicable misplacement in time and space, whereby she had been born too late, 
too early or too far away from the haunts of her spirit ever to harmonize with the unbeautiful things of contemporary reality? Unbeautiful things. Yeah. This is kind of the theme of both the stories we're covering. Today, yeah, it actually. is. Um, and it, the, uh, the ugliness of life. Yeah. And the quest for beauty and uh-huh. in dreams. Yeah. And, and belonging. Uh, and belonging. Yeah. yeah. Having and that's place. why that last that last paragraph kind of makes me a little sad. Yeah. You know? uh, it's that feeling that you're out of sync and you don't fit in. Um, Psychology 101, they talk about how people have an internal locus con- of control where they think that they're responsible for everything that happens in their life. And then there's people that have external locus of control where they, uh, they kind of feel like everything else is, everything's caused by other people. Right. All their misfortunes. Mm-hmm. The external locus of control is what's frequently expressed by artists who maybe don't feel like they fit in. You know, I, I think yeah. of uh, like that suicidal tendency song, Institutionalized, which yeah. says, you know, <laughs> I went to your schools and I went to your churches and uh-huh. that's why I'm crazy, you know. Uh-huh. But with Lovecraft, it's almost this like cosmic locus of control. <laughs> it's, he's out of sync with time and space and yeah. everything. Yeah. He is kind of, in a, in a way, sort of a, a rebel. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't fit in. And yeah. He, you know, he's fighting to make his own place or yeah. find his own place. And by fighting, I mean writing poems and letters. Well, anyway, our character, Marsha, she doesn't want to feel this way. No. So it says, To dispel the mood which was engulfing her more deeply each moment, she took a magazine from the table and searched for some healing bit of poetry. Yeah, so she just picked up a mag and was like, hey, I'm going to look for some poetry and yeah. make me feel a little bit better. Because it's poetry that helps her out. She you know, not unlike uh, me sitting down and listening to a Cure album. Or, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It transports you to, to, to a sort of different place. Uh, so she flips pages in the magazine. She comes off, uh, comes across a bit of free verse that she likes, she even though uh, she she thinks that free verse is normally lame. And yeah. I, I almost feel like Lovecraft you know, knocked the pen out of her hand when she started talking about free verse. Like the next <laughs> couple of sentences, like which is of course stupid, and I normally hate it because people that write that kind of verse can't do math. Yeah, Lovecraft you know? hated free verse. Uh, <laughs> common knowledge there. But anyway, continue. Well, so she, you know, she reads this poem about a moon over Japan, the tropics, and in China, and mm-hmm. it, it soothes her into this dreamlike state and again the poem i thought was just a little on the sexy side yeah it's a little sexy little excerpt moon over the tropics a white curved bud opening its petals slowly in the warmth of heaven the air is full of odors and languorous warm sounds a flute drones its insect music to the night below the curving moon petal of the heavens now see that's got to be coming from anna i'm just i'm guessing i'm guessing yeah it just it feels so uh sexual it's like you a know, Sade like, song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is not, it's not unlike a Sade song. So she, she goes into some, you know, she just kind of drifts off. And uh, when she comes to... She is in a mist and then a dude shows up. Yeah. And this dude has got some winged sandals on. Yeah. Sound familiar? Yeah, he's Ever got Caduceus in his hand. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's Hermes. It's Hermes. The man. god Hermes. Yeah, he's there. Yo, what dream, up, baby? Pretty... <laughs> and he drops a, a, a pretty important piece of info yes he does uh, he says in thy yearning hast thou divined what no mortal else saving only a few whom the world rejects remembereth that the gods were never dead but only sleeping the sleep and dreaming the dreams of gods in lotus filled hesperion gardens beyond the golden sunset and now draweth nigh the time of their awakening when coldness and ugliness shall perish and zeus sit once more on olympus Hmm. That's a little more like lyrics from a Man of War song or something. <laughs> well, you know, when I read this, you know what popped into my head? What? The Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. 
You know, Absolutely. the gods aren't dead. They're sleeping. I, that's like the first time dreaming. in, in stories yeah. we've heard that. This is the first time that this has happened, and I think that this is a little bit of a kernel, if you will, yeah. of, uh, of Call of Cthulhu. It's a little bit more of a benevolent treatment of Old God's it Awakening. It is. <laughs> but it is the first time we've seen this but concept. Exactly. And, and Lovecraft, I think, at this point in his career, is still a little bit more yeah. optimistic. Um, but the other cool thing in here is uh, the gods send dreams. Yeah, yeah, to people yeah. to show that they're not dead. And, yeah. and he says, uh, For poets are the dreams of the gods, and in each age someone hath sung unknowing the message and the promise from the Lotos Gardens beyond the sunset. It's a little Call of Cthulhu, too. Little yeah, Hen- uh-huh. Henry Wilcox receiving dreams. Yeah. From the, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and being an artist, and uh-huh. that artists are sensitive to these messages from the gods. Yeah, yeah. Normally these types of stories of, of Lovecrafts I detest, but... You know, I'm digging it. So I'm far. digging it so far. Well, Hermes, he gets Marsha up in his arms. He and, scoops her uh, up. Scoops yeah, her hello. up, and they drift off through the skies. They look at a bunch of stuff, and uh, and then they show they run into uh, Zeus and Dionysus, and eventually they end up in front of a collection of artists from throughout time. Mm-hmm. These are these are some of the there's Homer, yeah, Dante, yep, uh, Shakespeare, the more than mortal Shakespeare, the more than yeah. mortal Shakespeare, yeah. super Shakespeare, uh, Milton, Goethe, and Keats, Keats, yeah, pretty mm-hmm. good group. Yeah, yeah. Um, these were all the I don't know, avatars of the god of, yeah. of the gods, you know, for their time, the, yeah, their period, cool. the ones that. Although I was thinking with them all together, like even with that group of people, even that committee could ruin a screenplay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> even those guys. So uh, Hermes Hermes puts her in front of these folks, and, and Zeus says these are the messengers. The yeah, Zeus is like a kind of holding court, right. so to speak. And Zeus says, you know, there's Boom. this new time of awakening and change that's coming when uh, this basically this like poet Jesus is going to show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, this, uh, this guy, this poet, or this, this poet Jesus is going to show up. Yeah. And when I was reading this, I go, oh, it's going to be her. She's the new... Yeah, right. No. Of course not. No, no, of course it's not her. She's a skirt. She's a woman. She can't do that. No. But she's going to meet yes. <laughs> this guy. Says, uh, Admits this chaos, prepared to herald his coming, yet to conceal his arrival, even now toileth our latest-born messenger, in whose dreams are all the images which other messengers have dreamed before him. He's going to be like the Serpentor of poets. <laughs> you remember Dr. Serpentor Dr. Mindbender, Joe? Dr. Mindbender will uh, take the DNA of Homer, Dante, <laughs> Shakespeare, <laughs> Milton, Keats, boom. Great, make, super poet! Super. This I command. So, uh... Anyway. Yeah, he's going to show up. He's going to be the guy to announce the return of the gods. Yeah, well, I mean, he's going to be the new the new artist. Yeah, the new, the new guy. I was actually... Wouldn't it be funny if, we, if you were reading this? Because this is the first time I've read this before. Yeah, I never read it before either. But I was reading it, and it just said, and his name will be Hasselhoff. Or something. <laughs> what? <laughs> this is coming true now. It's happened. Well, it's time to go. Mm-hmm. Basically, all of the poets, they get up, and, and they have a couple of things to say to her. Um, the most... You know, Keats was the last one, and he says to her... Beauty is truth. Truth, beauty. That is all ye know on earth, and all ye need to know. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Uh, we cut ahead years. And she's with a man, and the man is a musician. Yeah. And he's doing he's doing a little uh, a little song here, and uh, as you know, I'm. I'll go ahead and read the. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The singer ceases, and with eagerness asks a verdict. Yet, what can Marcia say but that the strain is fit for the gods? And as she speaks. There comes again a vision of Parnassus and the far-off sound of a mighty voice saying, By his word shall thy steps be guided to happiness, and in his dreams of beauty shall thy spirit find all that it craveth. Yeah, and that is the end. That's the end of that story. Boom. It's a, it's kind of a, it's a really neat sort of, I don't know, optimistic kind of um, 
Yeah, I, you know, I thought it was a bit wanky with all the classical allusions, but um, it actually reminded me of... Uh, I've been looking at this book, Lovecraft Unbound, that Dark Horse is releasing. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's an anthology. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's an anthology. It's got a lot of new stories. Mm -hmm. uh, there's Michael Chabon's in there and mm -hmm. Joyce Carol Oates. Uh, there's an author named Mark Laidlaw, who does one of the... He's a novelist, does one of the stories in there, but he, in his little authorial note at the end of his story, uh, he wrote, Remember that as Lovecraft beat the twilight byways of New England, looking for insights that must remain nameless and ineffable, to be spied just beyond the limits of our capacity for knowledge, he found not only horror, but beauty. Yeah. I thought that was a good expression of what we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. That's true, and I think it's really displayed in our next story. Yeah, so let's move right into it because yeah. it covers some of the same ground, uh, albeit much more in Lovecraft's voice. Yes. In a dream, Karanis saw the city in the valley, and the seacoast beyond, and the snowy peak overlooking the sea, and the gaily painted galleys that sail out of the harbor toward the distant regions where the sea meets the sky. In a dream, it was also that he came by his name of Karanis, for when awake he was called by another name. Perhaps it was natural for him to dream a new name, for he was the last of his family, and alone among the indifferent millions of London. So there were not many to speak to him and remind him who he had been. His money and lands were gone, and he did not care for the ways of people about him, but preferred to dream and write of his dreams. Okay, so it's Lovecraft again as the protagonist. Yeah, you know. yeah back to Lovecraft. Maybe yeah. kind of, I was like, what? Anna doing, man. <laughs> I liked Marsha. There was a little... Uh, it was a bit of a... It changed things it up changed a bit. Up a yeah, I like that. I like that. I just saw Anvil, the story of Anvil. Oh, right. Yeah. Last night. and it was awesome. Um, so I filtered all of my thoughts about the story through this story. <laughs> I, I just have to admit. Which isn't that bad, because I will say that if there's one community of people who have a lot of love for Lovecraft, it's the metal community. It is the metal so community. I want to give a shout out. It, the DVD came out this week, and they're showing it on VH1. If anybody hasn't seen it, please see Anvil, the story of Anvil. It's a, a, an actual documentary about this heavy metal band that almost was successful in the late 80s, but never quite made it, and right. they're still trying to make it. Yeah. And it's both sad and inspiring mm -hmm. in equal proportions. And it's, I mean, they're trying to live as artists, but they have to deal with their crappy jobs. And, yeah. And uh, It's funny. It's entertaining. Yeah. You're, I mean... And I think it really addresses some of the things we're talking about. It here. does. It really does. <laughs> so, so check it out. But let, to get back to the story. Uh, mm -hmm. Karanis was not modern and did not think like others who wrote. Whilst they strove to strip from life its embroidered robes of myth and to shew in naked ugliness the foul thing that is reality, Karanis sought for beauty alone. When truth and experience failed to reveal it, he sought it in fancy and illusion and found it on his very doorstep amid the nebulous memories of childhood tales and dreams. There's a little tip in there to the moderns that we discussed yeah. last week. Um, you know, the other writers are digging into the secret horrors of personality and, right. and the little things in life. And uh, I do love how he touches on childhood. Oh, yeah. And uh, he goes into it a little bit more. There are not many persons who know what wonders are open to them in the stories and visions of their youth. For when, as children, we listen and dream, we think but half-formed thoughts. And when, as men... We try to remember, we are dulled and prosaic with the poison of life. The poison of life. Yeah, it's true. It's uh, there's a certain amount. Of, you know, my friends have children, and I yeah. see, and I see them play. And there's a certain level of just willingness to do anything. Like yeah. you know, when they imagine their imaginations, like they're not processing it. They're just like, I'm going to pretend to be a horse, and then they go for it. You know what I mean? And as you get older, you kind of go, well, that's not really acceptable. There is a bit of of poison in life that absolutely that 
makes you less open to those types of things. Yeah, I you know when you read these stories about Lovecraft um, loving the Arabian Nights, mm-hmm. he was a kid and you know he had a little character he made up for himself and right. he used to run around and play and and when Kenneth Height pointed out to us that he made little altars to Pan and right. this kind uh-huh. of, I mean, a yeah, very yeah. vivid imaginary life when he was a child. Yeah, and almost spent the rest of his life trying to recapture that <laughs> yeah. by writing these stories and creating these fantasy worlds. Yeah. You know, the, it's painful to be nostalgic sometimes when you think about the fun that you had when you were a kid and there's a certain purity to your imaginings then as you were yeah, saying. Yeah, exactly. I think is expressed really well in this story. Absolutely, absolutely. But, so anyway, Kiranes, he uh, used to go to this place in his dreams. When he was youthful, he would able to, would be able to go to this place, this this magical land, kind of yeah. a, a dreamland, if you will. He used to go there when he was a kid and kind of play. Yeah. And was it you know was it imagination or was it real? Was it a dream? Was it not? Well, it's, lost, it's been lost to him for a while. Exactly. Uh, so he has a dream, but now first he dreams of his old childhood home. Yes. And uh, in the now as as he is now, and that smacks of Lovecraft as well because we know that he loved his childhood home yes, so much. Yes, that, that, that they lost because of... Yeah. But you know, I grew up in the same house. I lived in the same house for 17 years. Yeah. You know, My parents still live in the house home. I grew up in. You know, you just get so attached to that place where you live. Yeah. That childhood. Oh yeah, or that very special time of my life yeah. that is, you know, precious in a way. So in his dream, he, he, he goes through his, his town and um, he actually goes all the way to the edge of this familiar memory and the world kind of falls off and uh faith had urged him on over the precipice and into the gulf where he had floated down 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 past dark shapeless undreamed dreams faintly glowing spheres that may have been partly dreamed dreams and laughed winged things that seemed to mock the dreamers of all the worlds that's a little creepy yeah so uh he goes down and down and then the darkness breaks and he sees it Karanis had awakened the very moment he beheld the city. Yet he knew from his brief glance that it was none other than Salafius, in the valley of Uthnargai, beyond the Tenarian hills, where his spirit had dwelt all the eternity of an hour one summer afternoon very long ago. Yeah, that's it. This is the city. But he wakes up right away. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't get to indulge her uh, Yet? Yet. Because luckily three nights later he's back. He has the dream again, mm-hmm. goes off the precipice again, and he comes to the city. When he entered the city past the bronze gates and over the onyx pavements. The merchants and camel drivers greeted him as if he had never been away. And it was the same at the turquoise temple of Nath Horath, where the orchid wreath priest told him there is no time in Uthnargai, but only perpetual youth. Yeah, so it's kind of almost a heaven. And it seems like it's sort of a medieval, Middle Eastern heaven. I mean, there's camels, so, you know, that seems... But there's knights, too. Yeah, there are knights, too, so there's sort of this uh, mal you know, amalgam of different things, maybe different things from somebody's youth, yeah. you know, like st- stories of night, stories of, of you know, Alibaba, yeah. you know, and I, like... I love the detail, you know, it's just like when, I'm so happy when I get to see an old friend I haven't seen in a long time, mm-hmm. and you catch up with them, and then it's like, no time has passed at all. Yep. You know, it doesn't, this is, this poor lonely man, this dream city is to him with, with that experience. Yeah. He gets back there, it's like, nothing's changed, everybody's the same. See, he starts strolling around, and, uh, at one point, he hooks up with the captain. Mm-hmm. I was wondering, is that the captain from the White Ship? It could very well could be. Yeah. It, they don't go into any description of him, but uh, the thought did cross my mind too that that might that might be him. And it is a flying boat, uh, I believe that it he, is. Yeah, it gets on the water and then it goes, it goes up, 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 the sky. up into the sky. Yeah. 
luckily, because he's headed up there to the, the sort of sister city of Cellophane. Yes. Uh, Ceranian. Ceranian. Yeah. Which is kind of Billowy. Like, it's a billowy yeah. Ceranian. Well, it's like Cloud City from Empire Strikes Back, but maybe a more classical version of that. Right. <laughs> so a little less Lando, a little bit more Olivier. <laughs> but then he wakes up when he gets there, back in London. Yep. Nah, boo. You know, his life sucks, so he keeps dreaming, and he goes to lots of other dream locations. Uh-huh. But it's not working out. So Coranus sought fruitlessly for the marvelous city of Silaphius and its galleys that sailed to Cyrenian in the sky. Meanwhile, seeing many wonders and once barely escaping from the high priest not to be described, who wears a yellow silken mask over its face and dwells all alone in a prehistoric stone monastery on the cold desert plateau of Lang. There it is, the Plateau of Lang. The Plateau of Lang. And this is the that first the, time? Yeah, this yeah, is the first, it's first time it's mentioned. Uh, it's also talked about in uh, the Hound, and uh, in the Hound, uh, it's mentioned that it's in China somewhere or uh, uh, in Asia. No, maybe not China, but in Asia. It might be Tibet. Well, it's like a prehistoric city, but it's also yeah. a dream uh-huh. city. Oh yeah. And on, in our podcast on the statement of Randolph Carter, mm-hmm. we mentioned it as being part of Andrew Lehman's Lovecraft theme park. There'll yes. actually be a, a part <laughs> called the Plateau of Lang, whatever that gets built. But I was also curious about the, uh, the priest not to be described. Oh, yeah, with this yellow like mask? The, yeah, it sounded like the king in yellow to me from Maybe the Robert Chambers. Maybe he should not be named? Oh, sure. No! Oh, oh, what am I... What oh, am I why did you say that? Why did you say that? <laughs> Sorry about that, folks. Uh, so, uh... Curatius keeps trying to get to this place. Oh, yeah, so that was just a sidetrack. Yeah, that was yeah, a sidetrack. It's him trying to find uh, Cellophane. That's when things get a little psychedelic. Yeah. In time, he grew so impatient of the bleak intervals of day that he began buying drugs in order to increase his periods of sleep. Hashish helped a great deal, and once sent him to a part of space where form does not exist, but where glowing gases study the secrets of existence, and a violet-colored gas told him that his part of space was outside what he had called infinity. The gas had not heard of planets and organisms before, but identified Coranus merely as one from the infinity where matter, energy, and gravitation exist. Whoa! Yeah, this is the part where a little music from the band H.P. Lovecraft yeah. is appropriate. <laughs> well, that's, you know, what made me think of the color is, uh, you know, color out of space, you yeah. know, like kind of... They were inter- like some protoplasmic... Some dreams. interdimensional thing that is outside of time yeah. and space, and it's just like, what? Oh, you're from that place where matter and, yeah. and energy and gravity exist oh yeah oh yeah i don't do i know i don't do that i don't do that <laughs> when i did see the word hashish there i was like wait a minute what's in store for us now you know? <laughs> well you had some brownies ah, it was pretty groovy um sounds fun but uh but eventually he had no more money left and could buy no drugs oh <laughs> that's the saddest sentence no more drugs then one summer day he was turned out of his garret and wandered aimlessly through the streets drifting over a bridge to a place where the houses grew thinner and thinner. And it was there that fulfillment came, and he met the cortege of knights come from Salafius to bear him thither forever. So he loses everything, man. He goes under the bridge. He's drug-addled. Uh-huh. And when these knights show up, take him to Cellophane. Yeah, they're like, hey, we've been expecting you. Yeah. You're, you're the man. You're the king. Yeah. You're the god king. You created the city. You made the city, and you are the most important person. You're our god slash king, yeah. and we want to treat you as such. Yeah, so they, he, they give him a horse, and yep. they all start going, and they as they ride, they travel back through time, mm-hmm. and uh, things get older and older, and they get to his childhood village, and then they ride over the abyss on their horses, which is a really cool image. I can just imagine uh-huh. all of those horses flying off the edge of the world down into uh-huh. into space and, and over to... Over to Salafay. Or Salafay, whatever we're going to call it. Yes. And it's great. 
Yeah, he he's freaking there. loves it. It's it's wonderful. So he spends, you know, he's there in Cellface, and it's great. And he, when he wants to, he jumps on the boat and goes over to see the other place. Yep, yep. He's going back and forth. He, he's kind of bi-coastal. Yeah, kinda. He's, he's, he's having a grand time. Everything is awesome for him. Yeah, and in fact... He reigns there still, and will reign happily forever. Though, below the cliffs at Innsmouth, the channel tides played mockingly with the body of a tramp who had stumbled through the half-deserted village at dawn, played mockingly and casted upon the rocks by ivy-covered Trevor Towers, where a notably fat and especially offensive millionaire brewer enjoys the purchased atmosphere of extinct nobility. So there he is, and uh, then we find out what, what happens to his mortal... His mortal self, he, uh, he died. He stumbled off the cliff and smashed upon the rocks and... Found that curious below the cliffs at Innsmouth. yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. This is, of course, not... This is a London Innsmouth, yeah. which is not... Uh, it's not New Innsmouth. It's not our... Yeah, our Innsmouth. Innsmouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which comes later. Which has its own cliffs and its own dangers. Mm, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. This is another one. But this, of course, uh, I think Trochi uh, says that this is the first time he uses Innsmouth. And yeah. Borrows it's it again, first like in that. this one. It's pretty cool. It's a really cool... Uh, and that's the end. That's the end of that's the story. That's the end of the story. story. Yes. I mentioned the Cinemax films earlier, uh-huh. and um, I just decided today that if I ever make a dirty movie, appear mm-hmm. in one, a softcore yeah, uh-huh. or otherwise, uh, <laughs> my pseudonym will be Trevor Towers. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Trevor Towers. I liked this story, and I liked, I liked uh, both of these stories a lot. I, I gotta say, man, because these are the, the Dunsanian... Dunsanian? Dunsanian? They're Dunsane. They're done sane. But these are the, this is the first time that I've actually had a strong emotional reaction to these things. Uh, to, well, actually, Lovecraft's work, that wasn't wonder or horror or just right. like, that's a cool idea. That's neat. Well, what this is, a, so, you know, he had some dreams himself about flying over. Yeah, this, this uh, story was based on uh, some notes that he took. Cellophase was. Cellophase was. Yeah. It was. He recorded in a thing called uh, his... Well, he called it his commonplace book, which his diary. Of, his diary. Yeah. A lot of people, well, a commonplace book, which was more common years ago, when people uh, learned important things, they would write them down in this book. So it wasn't necessarily a diary; it was like oh, a, a bit of wisdom, and that was his commonplace book. But he would write his dreams in his commonplace book, and it was called "Dream of Flying Over City" was the name of it. Uh, this little thing about the Salaface. And this was written in November of 1920, so we're kind of rounding out this year. We're getting close to the mm-hmm. end of 1920, and it wasn't published until May of uh, 1922 in The Rainbow. What about uh, Poetry and the Gods? Poetry of the Gods was written in the summer of uh, 1920 and first published in the United Amateur in September. So, like, you know, in the fall. Yeah. Of 1920, same year. So, I, boy, that one got a better, quicker turnaround. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe because Anna Helen Crofts had some pull or something like that. Who knows? She's or a they mystery just, woman. She's a mystery woman. We don't know anything about her. I like to think that she um, liked to fly biplanes. Bi- <laughs> well, actually, I, you know, since I don't know anything about her, I kind of just filled in that that little story they collaborated on was uh, maybe some kind of romantic play there. Oh, but between the two of them? Sure. I mean, she she goes off and has these dreams about this, you know, this poet who's going to show up, and then here they are together in the living room, and you know, oh, yeah. maybe Hello. it's Lovecraft. Hello. Know? But Lovecraft doesn't really sing. In Well, <laughs> he chops some wood out in the backyard. He does good. chop some wood. You know, that's not anywhere in the story, Chad. That's I think that's it's just in my mind. something that you've, you've done. It's in uh, Lovecraft by Night. 
new movie I'm working on in my head right now. Directed by Trevor Towers. Oh. Hey, uh, uh, I did, when I was trying to look up these women, I found this really cool blog called H.P. Uh, Lovecraft and His Legacy by this guy named Chris Paredes. Oh, yeah, no. Only scratched the surface on it, but it looks pretty great. He yeah. had information about both of these uh, these authoresses, uh, these poets. And uh, I'm going to read some more of his stuff, but I uh, just wanted to, I'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah, okay, cool. cool. Yeah, I, I haven't uh, ch- ch- uh, read him yet. And I haven't either. I just came across it today. It's but... a shame that uh, you just decided to bring this up to me now and <laughs> write as we're doing the podcast. Sorry, man. Uh, I feel like a jerk. I'm sorry. Um, guy's name that you just said. What was his name again? Chris Paredes. Chris Paredes? P-E-R-R-I-D-A-S. Paredes. Uh, Chris, I'm sorry that I, I've just heard about you, and uh, I'm going to check you out. You know what? I apologize to everybody. This is a bad move on my part. <laughs> and uh... Uh, Good job. I mean... I... Yeah, this is. I was pleasantly surprised by uh, these stories. And yes. next week, we're doing a story that I'm quite familiar with, From Beyond. Oh, cool, From Beyond. From yes. Beyond is uh, kind of, a, I think, a big story for Lovecraft in his career. But we'll talk about it next yeah, week. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I just want to throw out there real quick, Chris and I made a, um, a pilot for a television show oh, called right. The Ward. Yes, we did. Uh, and it's sort of a Lovecraftian sitcom, if you with, can imagine that. With David Robertson. That's right, with David Robertson, who was the uh, cinematographer and, uh, and editor of The Call of Cthulhu. Movie, yes. And he, he shot this beauty for us, and it's going to be playing on October 23rd as part of the Vampire Film Festival. Down in New Orleans. In New Orleans. Uh, you can go to vampirefilmfestival.com to get details. Again, it's called The Ward. I will probably be there. Um, it's going to be on the. We're opening up the festival on the evening uh, of October 23rd. As I said, it's a Friday. We're we're playing right before the feature. But you can get details on the site, and yeah. uh, and we'll talk about it a little more. As, as Absolutely. Also, um, if you don't mind, uh, please go to iTunes, give us a, a, a positive review, and write a little something. And uh, we can also be found on Facebook. At, just do a search for the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast and become a friend. And any cool Lovecraft things that pop up, we. Uh, put a little information there and of course we have our forums and any other comments you want to make just go for it yeah man we appreciate it we really do Um, I love it so I'm Chris Lackey I'm Chad Pfeiffer and this is the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast hppodcraft.com hppodcraft.com